Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show. My name is Elizabeth Archer. This is my second time hosting. I'm very excited to be with you again. Also excited to announce that the Farm and Garden Show is now weekly. That's right. You can put it on your calendars. We are going to be here every week, Thursdays at 3 o'clock. I will be joining you the first and third Thursdays of the month. I had my first show last month, but I kind of came in stealthy and didn't tell you anything about me. So I thought I would use this opportunity to introduce myself to uh, the listeners. And I also have my husband with me, and we're going to talk about bees. So how did I get to Mendocino County? I was born and raised in a suburb north of Seattle, and I was there on and off for pretty much my whole life. I lived around the world a little bit. Um, and then I turned 30, paid off my student loans and had a little midlife crisis. So I sold everything and went on a road trip through California trying to find somewhere to be a farm volunteer. Folks who are familiar with WOOFing, which stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms, will know what I'm talking about. Um, Honestly, this was 10 years ago, so I don't even know if woofing is still a thing. But at the time, it was all the rage. You could do it anywhere in the world. And I found, I think it was 11 different farms to visit on a three-week whirlwind through California. And I was getting really discouraged because I hadn't found anywhere good. And I could almost write a book about the hilarious bad places that I visited um, until I came to Redwood Valley. And it was my very last stop on the tour. And I found it. And honestly, I can remember driving into Mendocino County and literally starting to cry. It just felt like home. Um, I could start crying talking about it right now. Actually, I had spent a lot of my life looking for where I felt like I belonged. And I got to Mendocino County and it just felt like home. And I know others who aren't from Mendocino County have had that same experience. And honestly, even folks who are from Mendocino um, probably have that experience too. It seems like the kind of place where um, if you belong here, it, it attracts you and, and doesn't let you go. So I spent my first summer in Mendocino County volunteering on a little homestead farm out in Redwood Valley and totally fell in love with the uh, with the area. We went swimming in Lake Mendocino every afternoon for those of us who can remember what it was like to swim in Lake Mendocino. Uh, hopefully this rain keeps up and we can swim there again this summer. Um, and then after that summer, I decided to stay, which has nothing at all to do with having met the man of my dreams on my third day here. I'll tell that story in a minute. And from there, I decided um, I really didn't want to be a farmer. It turns out I had romanticized farming. Farming is really hard work, and I'm not a morning person, so that wasn't a good fit. But I did love the country life, and... I am a super food enthusiast. I love local food and local farms, and I do a lot to support them. Um, so my very first gig was as a volunteer with the Gardens Project of North Coast Opportunities, which is still going strong. Um, the Gardens Project is an amazing organization that runs community gardens throughout Lake and Mendocino counties, and that was a pretty special place to um 
sort of get my bearings in the county. Um, from there, I uh, managed the Redwood Valley Farmer's Market one season with my dear friend, Steph Logsdon, who moved out of the county, sadly, but um, that's okay. And I've also helped here and there with the Ukiah Farmer's Market. Um, Carson and I sell honey intermittently at the Ukiah Farmer's Market. I volunteer with the Good Farm Fund, which is an incredible organization that gives many grants to local farmers um, and also supports the food uh, the food stamps match program. That's not right. The EBT program. Anyway, it's a matching program. If you get EBT, then you can get up to, I think, $20 match to spend at the farmer's market, which is super cool. Um, and we actually just did the first Good Farm Fund event in uh, two years a couple weeks ago. It was the Harvest Picnic, and it was a huge success. So it felt so good to be at an event again, out in the community again, supporting local farms. Um, and otherwise, I'm just a really enthusiastic eater. <laughs> We try to buy as much of our food locally as possible, um, and I also love to garden, so that's kind of why I'm on the Farm and Garden Show. I'm not a farmer. I am a gardener. I'm a farm and food enthusiast, and I'm a Mendocino County super fan. So back to that story I promised to tell. When I first came to Mendocino, it was my third day in town, and the person I was staying with said, get in, we're going to a, a, a bee meeting. Now, here's a funny fact. I have been terrified of bees my entire life. I once had to quit a job because of bees. I was a barista at one of those little tiny drive-up stands, and I guess they weren't bees, actually. They were yellow jackets, but they terrorized me, and I quit. So I thought, okay, I will go to this bee meeting. Uh, that's fine. And so we got into town. We drove. We got into the car. We drove into town, walked into the Garden Club, which is an adorable little house on West Clay Street, and um, or just Clay Street on the west side, and walked in, and it's, you know, a bunch of sort of older folks, and... Then walked in this tall, handsome, dusty farm boy, and I thought, this kid's lost. Well, then he sat down and called the meeting to order, and of course, that man was Carson Elmer. We went on our first date that night. That was nine and a half years ago. We bought a house right around the corner from the Garden Club, and we own and operate Carson and Beast together. He's chuckling, so I'm going to turn his microphone on, and... uh let him say hi. Hello, everybody. Um, it's glad to be here. Um, this will be my first time on the Farm and Garden Show. Did I tell our story accurately? Uh, very accurately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that absolutely, meeting Carson had a lot to do with why I stayed in Mendocino County. Um, just one of the many perks of being here. So Carson, can you tell us, not me, because I know, obviously, uh, but can you tell our listeners how you got into beekeeping in the first place? I have uh, been beekeeping for over 20 years now. Um, I kind of got started uh, helping my dad. I was a young little lad at the time. Um, I was so young that it didn't matter where I went, I wanted to go, right? So they were planning this trip um, to take bees over to the almonds uh, for almond pollination. And this trip happens once a year, uh, take them over and bring them back. I got on, I helped out, uh, got on the trip, 
at least once a year since I was, I don't know, probably six. Um, and got to a point that I started helping out, started picking up hives. And when we came back, um, my mentor, uh, Jack Booth, uh, split off a couple hives for me. And I have been doing it ever since. And how old are you now? 34. You had to think about that one. <laughs> so most of your life, I mean, over 20 years, certainly. Yeah, I was on the phone with somebody today and I said, yeah, I've been beekeeping for 20 years. And they said, I, you don't even sound like you're 20 years old. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said Jack split hives off for you, can you describe what that means? Uh, splitting hives is um, the beekeeper's version of a swarm. It's it's how you grow hives. Um, the queen is always laying eggs, so it's not like other livestock where they lay an egg or um, have some other form of... Um, have, have a baby? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so the bees will... To do it naturally, it's called a swarm, and they will make a new queen. Um, the and as that's happening, the old queen will leave the hive, and she'll take a third, to half, maybe two thirds of the bees with her, and they will go find a new home. Now, the beekeeper does that um, hopefully before that happens, and um, it's as the simple version of taking frames out of a hive and the frames are the honeycomb um, and putting them in another hive. So you're taking those bees out and putting them in a different hive. And at that time you can uh, introduce a new queen um, and there's several different ways of doing that. Um, and in the end result is you have two hives then or more if you split more than once. Um, but that's, that's how beekeepers grow their bees. So it's interesting when you say you introduce a new queen to the split hive. Um, tell us a little bit about queen bees and um, the very fun fact about their price in the livestock world. <laughs> well, uh, there's only one queen bee in a hive. I think most people know that. She's actually much bigger than all the other bees. Uh, so there's three types of bees in a hive. There's the queen, there's the workers, which are female, um, and then there's the drones and those are the males. Um, one fun fact is the drones sole purpose is to mate with a virgin queen. Um, and that's, that's all they do. They don't have stingers. I um, want to emphasize to people listening. That is literally all they do. The drones can't even feed themselves. They rely on the female workers to feed them. The drones fly out every day. They go to bachelor hangout spots. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> they congregate in little groups and they just hope against hope that a virgin queen in her very narrow mating season, which is how long? 10 days? Uh, from the time of, uh, queen is emerged out of her cell it's yeah 10 days two weeks something like that but it's it's pretty short comp compared to the rest of her life so they're just waiting hoping against hope that a queen <laughs> might fly by and otherwise they have no purpose yeah <laughs> um yeah queens are bigger they lay all of the eggs in the hive um and the workers are the, the rest of the females, they do the rest of the work. They bring, they gather all the nectar, all the pollen. Um, they 
they the queen has a little court and that is uh bees that just tend to her they clean her feed her give her uh all the supplies that she needs um she's busy how many eggs does can a queen lay in a day in the height of the season it's um like 2000 um 2000 eggs a day um and that's i think two or three times her body weight wow so she's uh, constantly eating they yeah they gotta constantly feed her um and she's one of the only bees that continually get fed uh high protein or like lots of pollen um all the other uh worker bees as once they're an adult bee have emerged out of the brood uh they really don't get any more pollen um they they chew it up and, and mix it all together and make it um for the queen they call it royal jelly but uh all the other brood um does get a high protein food so brood are the baby bees yeah brood are the for people who don't know bee speak <laughs> yeah um so baby bees get fed pollen right the yeah the the tenant bees the ones that are feeding the young uh will take uh sugar or honey and pollen mix it together make a high protein food for them and and feed them um whereas uh queens uh are actually almost swimming in this royal jelly it's a, a white jelly and it can be hard to see the queen larva in all of this jelly. Um, Wait, back up. You mean a queen that hasn't emerged yet, right? Yeah. So when they're preparing to swarm, um, they will make a special cell just for queens. Um, and they actually hang straight down. And the they will lay an egg and raise it f faster and bigger than the worker bees. And... To, to be a queen and they feed that a uh, bunch of food so one of the ways they're able to raise her faster and bigger is because they basically put her in a pool of royal jelly which the other baby bees don't get is that what you're saying yes yeah exactly and then so let's go back to baby bees for a minute once they emerge they do some jobs in the hive and then when they're fully adult that's when they start flying out and you're saying at that point they stop eating pollen? Uh, yes, uh, we can actually take it a step back further. So the queen will lay an egg at, um, the egg will stay an egg for three days. Um, and that's true for all three bees, the queen, the worker, and the drones. Um, they all have different gestation periods, I guess you could say, um, after that though. Um, and I'm not, super versed on it I, I don't keep it always in the back of my head um at least for the workers and drones um but the drones are the longest they take 24 days workers are 21 days from the time the egg is laid and queens take 16. oh wow um but they all take three days to hatch out of the egg and then the rest of the time they they're still in the cell um they'll go through there'll be a pupa and then they'll cap the cell and become go through metamorphosis just like butterflies do um and come out as bees um and yeah that's that's the process of 
the egg to adulthood. So when a bee emerges that first day, it immediately starts working, doesn't it? Doesn't it have to clean out its own cell? I, I'm not super versed in that part. <laughs> um, but yeah, they do uh, have different jobs throughout their lives. Um, the first couple weeks is cleaning out the hive itself. Um, then they they go into, I think, wax producing. Like they actually produce wax. Um, it has... It, Wax is produced uh, out of their wax gland, which is little ends up being little platelets of wax on their belly, and they can scrape that off and put it. Um, that's that's how they make the comb. Is they they put those little wax platelets wherever they they want them, um, and then as they um, some of them will be um, guard bees, so bees at the front entrance, um, kind of being the bouncer, not letting other bees in and, um, other like wasps, they'll attack those at the entrance. Um, and then the rest of their life is spent being uh, foragers. They go out looking for food, uh, pollen, um, nectar and nectar comes back to the hive and they process that into honey. So bees will take up nectar and turn that into honey. The pollen is then brought back to the hive and fed to the baby bees. So what do adult flying bees eat? Just the nectar? They just need carbs. They just need carbs to keep going, the fuel to keep going, and that is the nectar or honey. So uh, the nectar is carbs and pollen is the protein? Yes, uh, exactly. Um, and they will spend the rest of their life um, working until they die. Um, and in the summertime, that can be uh, as little as, uh, you know, four to, you know, four weeks, you know, would be a, a really short time. But it, you know, if they are working that hard, they will. They, really, they just work until their wings fall off or their wings are too tattered to, to fly back to the hive. Um, and in the wintertime, when they're not uh, flying as much, they'll, they actually last a little bit longer. Um, they'll last three or four months um, in the wintertime. I have such a sad image of just ragged bees trying desperately to make it back to the hive and their wings <laughs> won't carry them. Um, but bees are considered a super organism, um, which means that they don't actually value the individual life of any one bee, except for the queen, obviously. Um, so queen uh, bees are very selfless creatures. They, they work to um, make sure the hive is healthy and don't care a lot about themselves. And you can actually see that in uh, the, around August or so when they start kicking all the drones and older bees out. Um, and then the guard bees won't let them back in. And that's the bees winterizing their own hive. Um, you don't need drones. You don't need the males in the winter. So there really aren't drones in the winter in the hive. It's just a bunch of gals cozying up, keeping it warm. Um, so if you ever find yourself near a hive and it's, you know, maybe August or even into September, if you look right at the entryway, you'll see a bunch of just sad bees crawling around in front of it and some guard bees not letting them back in. <laughs> yeah, they they actually stop feeding them and will kick them, push them out of the hive and you'll see them trying to come back in very lethargically and they'll won't be letting them in. Um 
It's a rough world out there in the hive. It's a rough world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we didn't share the super interesting fact about queen bees um, and in the livestock world. So bees, honeybees are considered livestock. um, And because it's livestock, you can buy and sell uh, bees. You can buy and sell queens. And what do you want to tell folks about buying queen queen bees? Well, they're probably the most... uh, the highest priced livestock per pound that you can buy. Um, I think commercially, um, if you're buying like under a hundred queens, it's around $30, $35 for a queen. And that's just one bee. And she weighs nothing. I, we did that calculation. We did that, I wish I'd brought it. We did that it's, math with your dad a while ago. And it was mind blowing how expensive a queen bee is by weight. It's several thousand bees, <laughs> several thousand queens by weight to make a pound. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and there are lots of queen breeders in California, um, and it is uh, almost a whole art. You can you can have just keep bees, and you can, as a commercial operator, you can uh, also then just specialize in raising queens. Um, there's a lot of little niche markets in the beekeeping industry um, and raising queens is one of them. Well, that's a great segue. Let's talk about our business, Carson and Bees, which you have been calling yourself since you were a teenager selling honey at the Redwood Valley Farmer's Market, right? Yeah. Um, as, as soon as I had enough hives to produce honey, I had honey and then i quickly said i need a label for this and that's basically when i started carson and bees um and i've um, been selling honey at the at hopper's corner store in potter valley where i grew up for most of that 20 years um and then i have expanded and we um yeah i went to the redwood valley market um long time ago and we have been growing this business for a while and, and kind of taken it to a more of a, most people would call it a commercial scale, but in the beekeeping world, it's still kind of a sideline We're business. We're tiny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have honey, some honey now. And um, I think I, I hear a lot of people um, coming back to me and saying like, oh yeah, we really like your honey. So, um, yeah, Mendocino County honey is really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about Mendocino County honey and, and what makes, um, different honeys taste and look different? The quality, uh, not even quality. Um, the type of honey all depends on the type of flowers that they, uh, uh, attend. Um, and in Mendocino County, we have, um, a little bit of mustard, um, some vetch is an early honey crop that is finicky. Sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. And a lot of times if we do get a little bit, it'll just be mixed in with other honey. Um, but our big honey crop is actually blackberries. Um, and then a little bit of star thistle. Um, That's right. Star thistle, everybody, everyone who hates star thistle know it is actually a really important forage food for bees because it blooms so late in the year um, when most other things aren't blooming. So don't feel hopeless about that star thistle patch. Just let it let it do its thing. The bees will thank you. Yeah, uh, I think I'm the only person 
in Mendocino County that likes star thistle. Um, not that I like walking through it, but it does provide a nice, uh, a nice honey. Um, and yeah, so Mendocino County, um, the blackberry is, is very prolific and it tends to be a darker honey, uh, than what you see in, you know, the grocery stores, uh, commercially available. Um, and what a lot of that honey is at us honey, uh, is produced in the Midwest. Um, the Dakotas, they get the Montana, they get the summer rains and they have a lot of clover and, um, hay fields up there. So they'll, um, and that's a very light honey. Um, so it's, that's generally what you see in the store commercially available, um, is this light honey. Um, and so a lot of people are kind of thrown off of the darker local honey. Um, and darker doesn't mean bad. Um, doesn't mean worse. It's just a different flower. Um, I think it means better. A lot of people come back and say it's it's much better. It's complex. Um, you know, people do honey tasting like they do wine tasting. And, you know, honey has its own sort of terroir. Is that how you pronounce that? Ter <laughs> terroir. <laughs> Someone can call in and correct me on that. My French is not <laughs> great. Um, but that's, you know, the unique characteristics of the land that make wine taste the way they do. The same with honey. The unique characteristics of the flowers that grow is what influences the flavor of the honey. So what Carson's saying is most of what you can get in the grocery store is clover honey, which is very pale um, and just tastes, you know, sweet. And in Mendocino County and a lot of other Northern California counties, you get this really beautiful, dark, spicy, almost molasses-esque honey. And it's just, it's just delightful, I think. Yeah, there's, uh, sometimes it takes a little while of tasting it to kind of uh, comprehend it. Um, so I'm going to take a minute to reintroduce us and open up the phone lines. If you're just joining us, this is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. Joining me in the studio today is my husband, Carson Elmer. Together we own and operate Carson and Bees. Carson has been a beekeeper since he was six years old. Um, and we would love to talk to you if you have questions. So give us a call. I'm looking around for the phone number. <laughs> oh yeah, it's there it is. Eight nine five. Thankfully, oh yeah, Carson has it memorized. Two four four eight. Lines are open. Seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. You know, I have it memorized too, but in the the heat of the moment when you're hosting. I saw it on the paper. <laughs> um, so we'll keep talking until we get a call. But please, we'd love to hear from anyone from anywhere. You don't have to be in Mendocino County. Um, I know you can listen to the show online from wherever you are. Um, so back to honey, just briefly, uh, let's talk about why California honey is so much more expensive than honey from the Midwest. Uh, the short answer is we don't produce that very much. Uh, we have, uh, dry summers, uh, where plants need water to produce nectar and, uh, we just don't have the, the irrigation slash rainfall to promote large honey crops here. Uh, the other part of that is when we do have uh, lots of rainfall in the spring, um, there's the beekeepers are doing other things um, and they're kind of using that honey to build up um, 
it takes a lot of honey to produce wax, um, and it takes a lot of wax to make a hive. Um, so there's, in that time, the, the hives are still kind of building up to a point that they can, can make honey. Um, so California honey is, is kind of hard to come by. So you leave that early season honey for the bees, it sounds like. Um, on hives that are still growing, yeah, they they still take they they take the honey that they produce. Sure. Okay, we have a call. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, is it okay to ask a yellow jacket question on the program? Absolutely. Well, I I read somewhere maybe on the internet that uh, yellow jackets are pollinators. Do you know if that's true? I've always kind of viewed them as aggressive pests in my orchard on my property and have even destroyed a few nests, and I know skunks will come in and destroy ground nests, and and I always think that that's good um, until I realize that they're also pollinators. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should be a little kinder and to- more tolerant of the yellow jacket who gives me a nasty biter sting every now and then. They are pollinators. Um, the It's a, a small percentage of pollination that you get from yellow jackets i don't know what flowers they um are pollinating um but they they, seem they to do around the ground a lot whereas your bees you'll find up in your flowers and up in your orchard up high where you know yellow jackets tend to be sort of ground dwellers i'm thinking maybe they're and perhaps they're pollinating the ground crop they're a little bit more of a scavenger so they don't go to uh, flowers for the pollen collection uh, as much they will scavenge the you know the meat off your table on your picnic um so yeah uh, i i i can't fully condone uh yellow jackets as pollinators um we kill them if that helps (laughs) i have no no problem saying that yellow jackets that come into our life, if we can find the nest, are eliminated. They don't provide well, that, a very that, high that level of pollination. Of you know, I, I was a question of conscious and, and, and thinking about the, the circle of everything and is this a good thing to do to eliminate them? I mean, I'm sure an ecologist would say no, but I'm not an ecologist. <laughs> I am a yellow jacket hater. <clears throat> I will die on that hill. Yeah, so they, they, go go in peace, eliminating those yellow jacket colonies. They tend to be a lot more aggressive, and they, if you are running a farm, then you are running that liability of having someone get stung. Um, and there are a lot of people that are allergic or highly allergic to bees and and or wasps. Um, some can be allergic no, to I one and not the st- other. I find their sting to be way worse, and and that to be much more aggressive and wanting uh, to do that. But, then bees, I just just don't really. They just don't seem. If you just stay out of their their space, they seem fine. Yeah, honeybees are. Oh, they're really just focused on getting the flower, going to the flower, getting pollen and nectar. Um, and in the the height of the season, in summertime, early spring, uh, I can go walk through the the hive yard and just sit there, and they won't even it won't even bother me. Uh, whereas I've yellow jackets, assisted, I've assisted some people moving some hives, and it's amazing how docile they are. Hey, thanks for the info. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the show. Bye. Okay, I think I did that right. All right, lines are open. Seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. What were we talking about before that call? Honey, I think we've covered the honey bases pretty well. Yeah. 
Uh, we could start on, um, I mean, a lot of people ask when's the best time to start a hive. Um, and it's really the, the springtime. Uh, late March uh, through April is when uh, bees are available commercially. So commercial uh, beekeepers are splitting hives. Um, and one of the ways that a lot of people start hives is by uh, getting just bees and a queen. And that that is, um, it comes in three pounds of bees and a queen. And I think we have another call. We do have another call. Hi, you're live on the air. Hi, um, I'm uh, having to find out if you uh, locate your hives at different locations because my partner and I have 20 acres up Ward Springs Road. We have a lot of gardens and flowers and stuff, and we have a lot of bees there. I was just wondering if that would be something of interest to have some beehives brought up there so they could uh, get honey made. You know, we do assess where we put our hives every year, and um, occasionally we, we do look for new locations. If you go on our very basic website, carsonandbees.com, uh, you'll find our contact information, and you are absolutely welcome to reach out to us that way. It's C-A-R-S-O-N, Carson and A-N-D. Uh-huh. com. Don't judge it too harshly. We don't update it very often. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, you know, I, I really uh, enjoy watching the bees because we have a, 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 a flower box right on our deck, and they're always there, and I'm picking off the dead flowers, and they never bother me, you know. I just enjoy just looking at them. And we have a lot of them. I thought, well, they could uh, get the honey made from all the flowers or something there just put a couple hives around that would be beneficial for the situation yeah absolutely so, so i should just get on the uh the website and give my name and stuff and yeah, you can leave it's a comment or springs road it's mm-hmm. near uh orange hot springs mm-hmm. running springs ranch it's called cool um, yeah, you can leave a comment on our website, or our email is there as well. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks Have for the a call. Good day. I'm interested in your show. Oh, Bye. thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. That brings up a, a good a point of um, what can a lot of people ask? Well, what can I do for bees? Um, it's it's hard to raise bees, so I tell people that if you aren't super serious into raising a bunch of bees, then maybe just plant uh, your flowers um, around your house. And there's lots of flowers uh, that you can get into. Um, and Let's just... talk about those in a minute. We have another call. Calls are fun. <laughs> Hi, you're live on the air. Hi there. Thanks so much. Um, so with farming, I know that you know some, some practices stay the same for a, a long time and, and some things kind of evolve. And I'm just curious, Person in your experience, like over twenty years of beekeeping, like what things have you seen stay the same, or what things have you seen evolve, or how have your management practices changed in the time that you've been a beekeeper? What a good question. Uh, management practices. Well, 
um, in the good old days, even before my time, um, beekeepers would just kind of set up their hives and they would add boxes and collect the honey at the end of the season. Um, now we have uh, Varroa mites and those have been around for 30 years, I want to say. Um, but that the problem with uh, those is it's a bug on a bug. So you can't, uh, it's not like in an orchard, if you have a bunch of bugs um, and there's, um, you know, organic practices and non-organic practices, but the simple solution is, you know, spraying. Um, now what you're spraying, that's a different topic. But um, for bees, uh, varroa mites are a major problem. Um, so uh, almost all of the uh, management practices revolve around that. Um, and so there's, there's different mite treatments. Um, and the biggest thing that's always kind of been the case is, um, keeping honey pure. So doing your mite treatments before a honey flow and then taking the honey off and then doing mite, uh, treatments or mite mitigation. Um, cause not everything is a necessarily a treatment, um, there's there's many different um, IPMs, um, integrated pest management practices um, around mites, um, and a lot of um, a lot of them involve using um, some kind of treatment. Um, but there are other things like um, screen bottom boards that some people use, um, and that just uh, it, it helps with mites, but isn't the solution. So would you say that there are more colony losses now than 20 years ago? I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> um, there, there was a study that there, there's actually fewer uh, bees in the United States than there was you know, 50 years ago or something like that. Uh, but I, I don't remember the numbers. Did that answer your question, caller? Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. I think what people don't understand about Varroa mites and honeybees, I mean, a lot of people have maybe never even heard of Varroa, um, but it's the biggest parasite-host relationship in the world, which means that the size of the Varroa mite in comparison to the honeybee's body is equivalent to a dinner plate. So, yeah, like, if the... you had a leech the size of a dinner plate on your back, that's what a varroa mite is doing to a bee. And sometimes there's more than one mite on a bee. So it's really serious. Um, and a lot of backyard beekeepers don't treat for varroa mites, which is actually problematic for the other hives in the area because bees are opportunistic. And if they see a weak hive, they'll go in and steal that hive's honey. Well, they're also going to be taking mites out with them back to their house. So, um, yeah, it's... I, I see it as I tell a lot of people, um, it's like kids sharing germs. They Bees will share mites like kids share germs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we have another call. Hi, you're live on the air. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Carson. This is Lee Hunt. Hi, Lee. I'm, I don't have a question. I'm really enjoying this hour, but I wanted to mention that Carson started the 4-HB project about 10 years ago, and that. it's it's still going strong. Um, there's beehives at 
plowshares, and that kids, they really take to keeping bees if that's their interest. And I was hoping he'd talk a little bit about that. Thank you so much for calling, Lee, and we will absolutely talk about that. Great, thank you. I Yeah, I started uh, two things. I started the um, Mendocino County Bee Club. Um, where we met. Where we met, um, which I, at the time, had too many other things going on, and so that has kind of fallen through the cracks. Um, I had passed that on, and it kind of fizzled out. But uh, another thing was the, um, the 4-H group, or 4-H project. I... I grew up in 4-H, and uh, beekeeping kind of became a 4-H project. Um, so I ended up becoming a leader at, and kind of showing a few kids uh, about bees and how to keep bees. And um, I know one of them is still keeping bees today. Well, I'm so glad to hear that it's still going strong. Um, we had a few things happen in our lives. We got married, we got a house, we had a baby. Um, beekeeping is not our full-time work by any stretch of the imagination. So in addition to running the business, which honestly Carson does almost all of it, I don't go into the hives, <laughs> um, but I do help with sort of sales and marketing and accounting and stuff. Um, but we both work outside of the bee business. So yeah, it just, you got to a point where you didn't really have the the time to manage the project and i'm glad that it's still going strong yeah i think uh, i think lee is is the current leader now so it is um something if your kids are in 4-h i think it is a county-wide project uh so any 4-h kid in mendocino county can um attend the the beekeeping project and lee if you're still listening you know that you can always hit carson up to come talk to those kids he might not be running it, but he's still available to help with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, we were talking about Varroa, which is one of the threats to bees. Um, what are some other threats that honeybees face? The three main threats to bees are nutrition, um, pesticides, and Varroa. Um, it's really hard to... Uh, deal with nutrition or in terms of it, it's an environmental factor so it, the, the bees go out to the environment and get the food that they need um, so it's it's hard to change that in especially in California uh, you can do that in the backyard a little bit um, you know providing flowers um, pesticides Wait, are before you go to pesticides let's take this call okay hi caller you're live on the air yeah um, I have a couple questions you talked about uh, drones, and I guess their only function is to uh, uh, fertilize the queen. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and the queen will actually mate with uh, 10 to 15, maybe as much as, as 20 drones. Uh, so, And she will store that sperm for the rest of her life. And then when she lays an egg, she will uh, fertile. She has the ability to, to determine if she wants to make that a fertilized egg which will be a worker or a non-fertilized egg, which will then end up being a drone. And my, my understanding is that there's something on the order of 15% of the members of a hive are drones. Yeah, I've heard um, in a, a wild hive, uh, 
they there can be ten to fifteen percent in um, of drones in the springtime. And then they're they're uh, sustained by the workers. Yes. They, they don't uh, they don't collect or honey or I mean pollen or nectar. Nope, they can't even protect the hive. They don't have stingers. The stinger is a female reproductive organ. Yeah, well, well some kind of life, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the other question I had was, uh, my general experience with bees has been, if you sort of ignore them, they tend not to bother you. They don't, they don't, most bees are not aggressive, as I understand that's right. They they really just want to do their business and go to flowers. They just will go to one flower to the next, and they they really don't care if you're there or not. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've discussed this with guys. I worked in construction for years, and a lot of people are terrified of bee stings. And uh, I've told them that when you swing your hand... You create a vacuum that draws the bee into your contact with you, and you're more likely to get stung that way by swinging at them. Uh, well, you create a, an aggressive behavior, and the bees can pick up on that. So if they um, feel that they are being aggressed, I guess, they will uh, respond. Yeah. Um, so quick movements, um, they it, when they are alerted, they do uh, respond to the the pheromone of a sting. So what happens is um, a, a, a honeybee will sting you and leave the stinger, and that will release pheromones and it will be a signal to other bees that hey, right here is a, a sensitive spot you can actually get stung. Like uh, whereas if in a bear, for instance, where you know bees evolved in the wild. Um, Bears or bees have a hard time getting into the fur, so right. um, just leaving the singer behind and the pheromone kind of gives so, a, a. So if you do if you do something that causes a bee to sting you, you're more likely to get stung again. Yeah, if you're in and around a bunch of bees, yes. Um, but if you're out in the field and it's just one bee, uh, you're this the bee that stung you can't sting again. Yeah. Uh, because she will leave the stinger uh, in you. Bee lines when getting in uh, in between a, a group of bees and they're in the direct going in the in and out in and out of the direction of their hive. Yeah, bees are kind of clumsy flyers, so they don't really care if you're in their way, but they will run into you. Yeah, but you're not more likely to get stung simply by being in that area. No, not really. Um, well, it's all very interesting, and I really thank you for this show. It's been quite informative. Oh, thank you so much for the call. All right, you bet. Thank you. Can bees smell fear, Carson? <laughs> no. No, <laughs> they cannot. Are you sure? I'm, yeah. <laughs> the more feel for, fearful you are, the more likely you're going to be have jerky movements and be um, aggressive, even if it's running away. Um, so yeah, they will go after those quick movements. That's fair. I, I will say that being stung, it still hurts. It always <laughs> hurts. Now the reaction afterwards, um, 
goes away as as a beekeeper the more times you get stung the the less of a, a allergic reaction you have so it it doesn't become itchy uh afterwards sometimes i'll get stung and maybe not re realize it fully like through my clothing and so there'll be a stinger that will be on my skin and every once in a while I'm like why do i itch just a little bit and i kind of look back and go oh that's the itch of a sting where's the worst place to get stung the nose and ear uh i'm pretty big guy and i've been stung on the nose and the ear and it is an instant cry <laughs> i don't care how big and how tough you are the nose and parts of the ear are hurt <laughs> a lot so here's a little bit of folklore that i have not verified so take this with a grain of salt but i have heard that beekeepers are actually one of the longest living professions and it's been posited that that's because the venom is actually therapeutic um, and some people use bee venom therapy for things like rheumatoid arthritis. I've heard it being used for um, Lyme's disease and other things. Now, bee venom therapy is illegal in the United States. It's illegal to even buy books about bee venom therapy in the United States. So I'm not making any um, medical recommendations here. Um, but I have heard that beekeepers live a really long time. And one of the reasons is because they get stung so much. Yeah, there's in the beekeeping industry, it seems like yeah, everybody knows, but um, the venom uh, really helps with arthritis. Um, beekeepers um, have the lowest case of or cases of arthritis per other industries, I guess. Um, I don't I don't have the numbers on that. Um, it's just, yeah. FDA is not studying that. <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> um, you said something interesting during the last call that I want to touch on, which is that bees can only sting once, um, which seems like sort of an evolutionary fail. But can you describe what happens when a bee stings? What happens to its body? Yeah, so the stinger has barbs like a fish hook. So they stay in, in your skin. And when the bee flies off, the stinger is left behind. Now there's also a venom sac and uh, two little muscles on each side of that. So they, the, the muscles will pulsate and continue to pump the rest of the venom in into you. Um, and that also leaves a scent, a pheromone. Um, and the queen is the only bee that doesn't have a barbed stinger she can sting more than once but she doesn't usually handle people or not around people so hopefully yeah something's gone very wrong if the queen is stinging and also the stinger is connected to the stomach so when they fly out it rips their stomach out um <laughs> so that's a lovely thought i'm yeah. gonna take this call oops sorry call back we were talking about Stingers so, getting stuck. Yeah. The, the, oh, here. Maybe this is them. Hi, you're live on the air. Hello. Thank you for answering. Uh, Carson, this is Steve on Potter Valley. I have a quick question for you in regards of requeening. When should a hive be requeened? Um, how do you look for different signs in the broods, maybe shotgunning or not consecutive brood? And 
how many years does a queen, a strong queen, last in a hive? Well, uh, how long they last, uh, the old um, adage is that they'd be four to five years, um, but now it's uh, two to three. Um, and I, I think that's kind of attributed to the stressors of uh, varroa mite um, and varroa mite management. Um, now, when you should requeen, that is uh, a big ball of wax. Um, there's uh, times uh, when when bees turn mean um, is a lot of times uh, a good reason to requeen, um, but other times uh, when the queen is failing. Now, uh, when there's so many different reasons a queen can fail, um, but if if you have like you said, kind of shotgun brood, so brood that um, the queen isn't filling all of the the cells in the frame. Um, when it gets to a certain point, yeah, the queen is is not doing well, and you'll want to um, have a, a new queen because a new queen will fill almost every single cell, and that'll be more productive for your hive. Um, gotcha. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the call. So before we were talking about the major threats to bees, so you were talking about nutrition. Um, I think it's important to be transparent about what it takes to keep hives alive these days in sort of like, you know, it's no secret that honeybees and pollinators in general aren't doing super great. Um, and so one of the ways that beekeepers try to keep their hives healthy is to feed them. Um, so we feed pollen and syrup do you want to talk about why and how and when we feed and by we i mean you i don't do yeah. any of this <laughs> um and i i don't feed a lot um we have um excuse me uh, small high uh, numbers of hives in the yards so we, we're not depleting as much um so they can they can store more honey there's only you know x amount of nectar in one area and if you put one hive there, they may not get the full X. If you get put, you know, let's say a thousand, then they're only going to get one thousandth of a piece of that X. Um, so we do not have a thousand hives. Just no, FYI. that's just a, a <laughs> generalization. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we don't have a lot of hives in one location. So my uh, sugar feeding is pretty limited. Um, but I will will supplement them a little bit. Um, sometimes they can use a little boost, um, and so I'll give them some sugar. Um, this time of year, if they haven't uh, produced uh, enough uh, honey, haven't stored enough honey, I'll I'll give them a little bit of uh, sugar to help them through the winter. Uh, the pollen patty feeding is really to help them boost up uh, uh, brood production, and so I'll. I, I give pollen patties when I do splits, so just to help them give them a little boost, a um, little bit more feed. Um, in other parts of California, they, they have to do a lot more um, sugar feeding and, and pollen feeding throughout the year. Because there are more monocrops, less native forage available? Um, or yeah, just less native forage for them. If you if you put bees where there aren't any flowers, it's really hard for them to find food. 
another great thing about Mendocino County. Yeah. It's a pretty good spot for bees. Um, we have just a couple minutes left, so that might be time for a really quick call. If someone had a burning question, 707-895-2448. Um, I feel like this hour flew by. We barely scratched the surface of what we could have talked about with bees. So the good news is I know where you live. I know your schedule, so it seems <laughs> perfectly possible we'll have you on for another episode of the Farm and Garden Show. Any parting words for Mendocino County folks who want to save the bees? Uh, well, I think there's a couple uh, Facebook groups um, of beekeepers that um, are can get together and ask questions. Um, oh, we have a call. Let's squeeze them in. Hi, caller. You have about one minute. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Can you start over? I didn't have your microphone on. Do beekeepers plant their own different types of flowers to feed them? Oh, that's a very interesting question. It takes a lot of flowers and a diversity of flowers uh, to feed hives. Now, backyard beekeepers, certainly, uh, you can have one or two hives and, and plant all beehives around your house um, and to help feed them. Um, but in terms of any, any kind of scale, it takes a lot of flowers to, to feed bees. So um, kind of what I've always heard is like one acre of flour per hive, which is a lot of flowers. To... <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for the call. Okay, thank you for listening. This has been the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. Our guest today has been Carson Elmer of Carson and Bees. I will be back with you in two weeks for a show that is to be determined. Thanks, everybody. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willitson Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.